The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon. I'm the host of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, a national democratic and progressive strategist and pollster, and a political analyst for News Radio KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for uh, progressive issue groups labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that advance our great nation forward. Today on Deadline DC, we have two great guests. In the first half hour, our guest is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. He joins us to discuss the right-wing obsession with Taylor Swift and the media coverage, I would say the awful media coverage, of Joe Biden's age. Then in the second half hour, Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force retired and CNN military analyst, uh, discusses the world at war in Gaza and Ukraine. But before we bring on our first guest, uh, we have this uh, clip. Where Jen Saki from uh, MSNBC explains the right-wing obsession with Taylor Swift. So is Swift a front for a covert political agenda? Primetime obviously has no evidence. If we did, we'd share it. But we're curious because the pop star who endorsed Biden is urging millions of her followers to vote. As the right-wing conspiracy goes, stick with me here, Taylor Swift might just be an operative for the Democratic Party. Some, like Jesse Waters, who you just saw there, would even call her a psyop. The theory goes like this that they're all talking about. Taylor's popularity is being propped up and wielded by the powers that be in order to unleash her fans as Democratic voters and hand Joe Biden the 2024 presidential election, if it only worked that way. Where folks on the right make it super, super weird is by painting this as some sort of intricate, deep, dark conspiracy like, say, former presidential candidate and Trump surrogate Vivek Ramaswamy, who posted this yesterday after Kansas City punched their ticket to the Super Bowl. Quote, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month, and I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple this fall. I mean, what? What are you talking about? Also, he's clearly not a football fan. I mean, it could be that the game was rigged, Vivek Ramaswamy, could be as part of an elaborate scheme to get Joe Biden more votes. It could be. Or it might have been that Baltimore had some bad fourth quarter turnovers. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Banner. Our guest in this half hour is Sarah Jones, who's editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Uh, her uh, Twitter handle is Politicus Sarah. That's P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S. S-A-R-A-H. 
first, uh, Sarah, let me ask you, do you think the Chiefs legitimately won the Super Bowl or was it part of a rigging and a Pentagon psycho-op to promote Joe Biden? That's absolutely a psyop. Uh, Dark Brandon posted on Twitter, you know, we did it or something like that. And uh, afterwards, so yeah, we're all in on it. The whole, the whole world is in on it. Everyone is in a conspiracy against the far right. Um, and so there's nothing that they can't be paranoid about. And it's interesting at this point that they've come out against like basic Americana football, global pop star, you know, like they're now they're against football. It's just so this is what happens when people are in this echo chamber and they can't accept reality. So that's what that's, I guess, what we're seeing. I mean, this is absolutely bonkers. And, yeah, you know, it I, really is. I mean, what's going on here? Why are Republicans and the magna, magna crowd so obsessed uh, with Taylor Swift? Because, you know, she um, registered, she, she has like 200 and what is it, 272 million um, followers on Instagram. And she told them one day, go register to vote on National Voter Registration Day. And the website she sent them to vote.org they got over 35,000 new voter registrations so basically republicans see her and i don't think she's actually endorsed um joe biden so th these claims are even you know they're just making leaps she has come out against certain republicans um and i think it's kind of clear where she stands politically at this point and i think for Republicans to be focused on, you know, this is some kind of psyop against them. No, actually, Taylor Swift is a woman and she uh, and her followers. Right yeah, exactly. And she's and they're concerned in the post row world about their rights, their fundamental human rights that the Republican Party and Donald Trump stole from them. And so to come out here and act like this is some big conspiracy when it's actually about something they did two women on purpose and continue to do is really disingenuous um, that or they're suffering from delusions. I mean, these are like to not put these dots together. They drove young women away from their party and activated them to go register to vote and vote against Republicans. So do I uh, sense that the Republicans are a little insecure about their masculinity? Well, I think that's, I mean, honestly, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say it, Brad, you and I've been talking for a long time. So, um, they come off. I mean, this is very like their big fear, um, of being incels and they seem to attract that kind of coalition online. Um, that's how this all comes off. I mean, it's very much like if we can't control a woman, then there's no chance we're going to attract her. So. Um, they always go for domination, which is also kind of interesting because they really don't like Travis now. Um, and he is kind of the iconic um, American idea of masculinity um, for many people. Um, and now they don't like him. And they're saying his masculinity because he, you know, yelled at his coach was um, that he should be kicked out and blah, blah, blah. It's like you guys represent this kind of toxic masculinity. You've been embracing it. You've been running on it. These are people not just, it's not new. They've been saying for for 
over a decade, you know, oh, rape, um, if rape isn't real, you, you can't get pregnant from, a, um, from rape. So, you know, this is what they're left with is they've embraced, um, they've embraced this misogyny and sexism uh, to an, a degree that I don't, they keep having to up it because that's what their base is demanding. And it's really sad to see, uh, for me, it's sad to see women um, supporting that. And this is the, you know, this is the culture that we live in. It teaches women to go along with what men want so that they can um, get men's approval. And so that's what the women that are, you know, a lot of the women that are supporting Donald Trump and his anti-woman's freedom agenda, um, that's, you know, the only explanation I can come up with. Okay, well, at least the Republicans have found someone real to pick on after uh, beating up on Barbie uh, for several yeah. months. So, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, my guess is, that's uh, just a prediction, uh, that in November this year, we are going to see a gender gap as wide and deep as the Pacific Ocean. Um, yeah. Women have been in the forefront uh, this year. And it scares the bejesus out of Republicans. And uh, I think uh, one thing we're going to see in November when we look at the exit polls is uh, a uh, gender gap as wide as the uh, Grand Canyon. That's just the prediction. I totally uh, agree. And they're not going to see these people coming because these, are, these young women aren't going to be factored into the polls. Yeah, yep. Yep, that's yeah. true. Uh, well, it's their own damn fault. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break now uh, to uh, let our radio listeners take a brief vacation. Uh, and we're going to continue this interview with Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA, uh, right after this break. Uh, right after the break, we're going to change topics and discuss uh, the uh, uh, coverage, the media coverage of uh, the latest wave of controversy about Joe Biden's age, which is kicked off by a special prosecutor uh, report. Uh, anyway, uh, if you want, by the way, if you're a radio listener and you want to watch us, uh, you can watch us at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon, facebook.com front slash Deadline DC with Brad Bannon videos. We'll be back right after this message. Welcome back Deadline Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA, and uh, hope and uh, thankfully a frequent guest on Deadline DC uh, because she's able to put up with me. I thought the president's response uh, that we played in the clip was uh, was pretty effective. Uh, do you think this is going to be a lingering concern in terms of the president's uh, chances for re-election in November, or do you think, uh, or will it go away? Well, I think it will go away eventually, but right now it is a concern, and it's you know this is what the media does. It's very circular. They cover 
um, Joe Biden's age incessantly. And then they they say, oh, the polls show that this is what voters care about. So that's why we are covering this even more. And they did that with this report that came out. They actually started saying, and I've been reading this on Wikipedia, like it's a fact. Oh, this, you know, uh, address the established concerns about Joe Biden's age. Now, they need to get President Biden out there more to, for people to see like what we see that are covering him, that he's out here biking on the weekends. He's doing Pilates with his family. He's doing, you know, he speaks off the cuff about nuanced, um, deep policy issues. I don't know. Of course, he stumbles and probably more with age um, about, you know, over names. But I, I stumble over names. Um, I'm sure you do in your in, on your show. Like it's just something that people that happens I, when I you're do talking it all a lot. The time, yeah. So to me, that that is not that interesting. And I think they're doing they're focusing on his age because they can exploit that. He's already got this tendency to stutter, and this is the one weakness that they can really exploit with uh, President Biden. But why aren't we talking about uh, what we should be talking about? We're going to pull out of NATO under Trump. He's going to sell Europe, you know, to Putin, just give Europe to Putin, let him invade Europe. They're very concerned in Europe. And what's happening is America is 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 at risk of losing its global standing. Uh, We're not going to be a superpower anymore. I've been thinking a lot about this, like Trump wants to take America kind of where um, Brexit unintentionally, I mean, we all saw it coming, but took, has taken the U, the UK, you know, to where they're more isolated. They're, they're, they have less power and less impact. And that, so how can that be America first? Why aren't we talking about that? I mean, not you and me, but why isn't the media talking about that? Why is no one pointing out how dangerous and um, debilitating his Donald Trump's agenda and Republicans, there are plenty of Republicans who've been excusing his comments about Putin and NATO um, and seem to be more aligned with Russia these days than they are with the United States. And I think we should all be talking about that. But the media's over here, Joe Biden's age. You know, I can't I don't know what to tell these people anymore. I mean, it's getting to the point where it's it's very troubling. Uh, after this happened, when Joe Biden did that, the clip that you played. You know, I was really horrified that they were attacking him, that he got attacked over the, the death of his son. He sat for that interview on October 8th and 9th, right after the Hamas attack, which he was dealing with, this international crisis he's dealing with. And they're over here saying, you know, what, let me insert my opinion about you uh, not remembering the, the date that your son died. I can't think of a more kind of horrific thing to say about someone. And it had no place. Well, uh, since you raised the issue, uh, let's talk about an issue. Uh, one of my concerns is that uh, since we've uh, now treaded into the national security policy area, uh, polls show that Democrats are deeply divided uh, over the uh, question of the uh, U.S. support uh, for the attacks on Gaza. Younger Democrats, I remember seeing a national poll recently where they asked uh, Americans uh, whether or not they sympathize with Israel or the Palestinians in Gaza. And about a, by a two to one margin, younger Democrats said they sympathized uh, with, uh, uh, with the Palestinians in Gaza. 
uh, whereas older Democrats tended to sympathize with Israel, uh, it seems to me this is causing a great divide uh, in the Republican and the Democratic Party. Uh, do you think this is a serious problem uh, facing the president's reelection campaign? Well, I think it's we foolish to ignore problems like this when they divisions that come up. But Democrats have been um, historically in the last um, at least in the last decade have been really good about their big tent and and being inclusive and listening to concerns. Um, and I think that when we'll just see if this conflict, we don't even know if it's going to still be going on. Um, hopefully it won't by the election. So it may not even be an issue then. I think Democrats have to show um, that they're being responsive and hearing the criticism. But at the same time, some of this is being exploited. And I think it's by, you know, hostile foreign actors trying to exploit. You see a lot of this going on on the internet, especially um, not to say that these concerns aren't real, but to say that uh, as always, you know, we saw we saw the Kremlin do this with uh, racism in the United States. They know how to exploit us on and divide us. And that's what they're really good at. And so, you know, it's very clear that they're engaging in that again. Um, so I do think it's a concern. But I also think that foreign policy isn't really the top issue for American voters. I, I wish that American voters paid more attention to foreign policy, but they don't really seem to, except like this, to get attached to like one um, singular issue. And that's kind of, you know, and and not have this broader interest in what's going on. And we could talk about what's going on all around the globe. It's not pretty right now. It seems like the world is on fire. Okay. Uh, one last question. Uh, What's with, with the Republicans? They've been complaining about uh, the border security for eons now. And then they punted when they had a chance to enact a stricter uh, bill on immigration policy. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very clear that they that Trump was ordering them to not um, pass the border bill because he wants the chaos at the border so that he can run on it. Now, what I think is going to be very difficult for Republicans is that um, the Democrats will be able to run against them on the very fact that they basically Democrats gave them 80 percent of what they wanted and they they dropped the ball, refused to pass it. So they're going to have to answer for that in terms of those lower races, down ticket races. Um, is that going to really matter with Donald Trump? Donald Trump's going to be out here talking about the border, doing his fear mongering like he always does, because there's nobody better than, you know, victims uh, like migrants who are fleeing violence in their own countries. No better person for him to attack. And he'll keep doing that. Yes, he will. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us again today. Our guest in this half hour is, has been Sarah Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA. We're going to take a deeper dive into national security policy in the second half hour with CNN military analyst Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force retired. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guest in this half hour is Colonel Cedric Layton, uh, U.S. Air Force retired and military analyst for uh, CNN. Before we get to Cedric, though, we're going to play this uh, clip uh, 
about uh, Donald Trump's recent comments about uh, basically hunting NATO. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. Uh, that was, of course, the former failed president uh, talking about his uh, willingness to sacrifice uh, our NATO allies to the uh, uh, evil designs of Vladimir Putin. Our guest in this half hour is Cedric Layton, CNN military analyst and U.S. Air Force retired. Uh, Cedric, welcome back to Deadline DC. It's always good to have you on. Well, it's always great to be with you, Brad. Thanks again for having me. Now, I don't even know where to start about the clip from Donald Trump we uh, uh, played, who said basically he's willing to let our NATO allies, uh, you know, suffer the tragic consequences of uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, tender mercies. What, what do you have to say about it? Yeah, you know, Brad, it is uh, very uh, sad that, uh, you know, somebody who was in President Trump, former President Trump's position, uh, is saying these kinds of things now in, as he's attempting to regain uh, the presidency once again. Uh, so in in this particular case, it's, it's interesting because, first of all, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, of course, tell his audience that the only time in NATO's history, uh, you know, since the late 1940s, the only time that Article 5 has been invoked was when the United States asked for it to be invoked after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And guess what? The nations of Europe, our NATO allies, responded to our call for help, and they provided services such as flying the AWACS, the Airborne Warning and Control System, over the United States. There were NATO air crews flying over the United States to help protect us from any possible future attacks from the air, such as the hijackings that occurred uh, on 9-11. And uh, that's one thing. They, of course, many of them supported, many of those countries supported us in Afghanistan. Uh, and uh, a few, uh, not as part of the NATO alliance, but a few also did support us in Iraq. Uh, so the NATO alliance goes back quite a way. And uh, it also is an alliance that has absolutely, categorically kept the peace in Europe since the end of World War II. Now, of course, we had Bosnia and now we have Ukraine. Uh, but those uh, events, those uh, crises, those wars occurred outside the parameters of the NATO alliance. And when it came to Bosnia, the NATO alliance uh, came together to support that. And uh, to President Biden's credit, the NATO alliance has come together to support Ukraine, as long as, of course, we get the aid through uh, that Ukraine needs at this particular point in time. But uh, that alliance has kept the peace in Europe and, by extension, kept the peace for the United States uh, over a large measure of the world. Well, let's uh, talk about the Republican, the recent Republican fascination uh, with Russia. Uh, I'm enough to I'm old enough to remember the old days where the uh, Republican president, Ronald Reagan, 
referred to uh, the then Soviet Union as the evil empire. Uh, now uh, we see uh, the Republican Party uh, jumping into bed with Vladimir Putin. Uh, we have uh, Trump's recent comments that he's willing to sacrifice uh, NATO to the tender mercies of the evil empire. Uh, last week, uh, conservative talk show host Tucker Carlson did an interview with Vladimir Putin. Well, what happened here? Yeah, it's a really interesting phenomenon, and I don't think anybody has a, a you know, complete understanding of exactly what occurred, but uh, what is occurring. Uh, but the the thing I think that we have to look at is, first of all, the Republican Party of today when it comes to national security issues, uh, at least as voiced by uh, Donald Trump and those who support him, is not the same as the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan understood uh, enough about uh, geostrategic strategic issues that he knew that uh, the then Soviet Union uh, was a direct threat to the United States. And he also understood uh, that in order to roll back that threat, it became necessary to challenge it. Uh, what the Republicans that support Trump are saying today is that they don't need to do those kinds of things. They don't need to confront Russia. Uh, they don't understand that uh, the direct heir of the Soviet Union in terms of government uh, activity as a political entity is Vladimir Putin and the state that he has created since he assumed power over 20 years ago in Russia. Uh, I think the fascina fascination with Russia comes in part to the due to the fact that uh, Vladimir Putin at least voices very conservative a very conservative social agenda. He is basically anti-gay. He is basically uh, in favor of uh, religion, which is something the Soviet Union did not espouse, except when they needed it during World War II. Uh, and it, it is something where he is looking at uh, these people are looking at this in a way where they think that Russia is an ally. Russia is not an ally. Russia has diametrically opposed geostrategic interests. They want to do things that would be very detrimental to U.S. and allied security interests, such as taking over Ukraine, such as expanding this war uh, that is now in Ukraine, potentially into NATO countries such as Poland, such as the Baltic states. And that uh, makes it... Uh, very difficult to, uh, you know, to really uh, put your head around because the geostrategic designs of the current Russian state are very similar to the geostrategic designs that the Soviet Union had under Stalin, under Khrushchev, under Brezhnev, and all the subsequent leaders uh, leading up uh, to Gorbachev. And that uh, that is something that uh, these Republicans, for whatever reason, either fail to appreciate or believe they don't have to appreciate. And that is uh, making them really not see the reality of, of uh, the geopolitical situation as it currently exists. Recently, in the last couple of days, I guess on Friday, uh, the uh, U.S. Senate passed a creation bill that provided, uh, I think, $41 in aid uh, to Ukraine for their war against Russia. Uh, now, what what is the situation 
uh, on the ground in Ukraine right now. Uh, they're running out of ammo because they're running out of money. Uh, there also last week was a change in the uh, Ukrainian military stand, uh, uh, military uh, command. Uh, what, what's going? What's the situation in Ukraine now? So, Brad, the uh, that is absolutely right. The uh, Ukrainian uh, government has President Zelensky specifically as the uh, what they call the supreme commander in chief of the Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, he has uh, taken uh, the uh, current, well, the pre the previous commander of uh, commander in chief of the Ukrainian armed forces, uh, a, a guy named General Zelushny, I and replaced him with the previous commander of the ground forces, the guy who was responsible for the defense of Kiev and the defense of Kharkiv, the second city of Ukraine. Uh, so um, there's basically a reshuffling going on uh, in uh, the leadership of the Ukrainian military because Zelensky believes that new tactics need to be employed in uh, the effort and new strategies as well in the effort to defeat the Russians. Uh, and that's due in part to the shortage of ammunition that uh, you mentioned in your question. There are uh, really basically what's going on here is that there's a shortage of viable weapons. There's a shortage of ammunition. The Russians have gotten smarter. Uh, when it comes to uh, employing their forces and all of those factors coming together make it far more difficult for the Ukrainians to advance and to hold the Russians at bay. And that's really what we're dealing with at this point. We're going to take a break now to give our radio listeners uh, a little time off. By the way, for our radio listeners, if you want to watch us as well as listen to us, you can watch us at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon and on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, or on youtube.com uh, at uh, deadline DC. We'll be back. Uh, with more of Deadline DC and more of CNN military analyst Cedric Layton uh, right after this break. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this uh, half hour is CNN military analyst Cedric Layton. Uh, we've been talking about Ukraine uh, we're going to now uh, move from Europe to the Middle East and discuss Gaza. Uh, we have this clip uh, from the Australian Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, uh, discussing the impact of the Israeli renewed offensive in the southern portion of Gaza. There are more than a million civilians sheltering in and around Rafa. Uh, many were displaced as a consequence of Israeli operations in the north. So they move south to this area, uh, often uh, under Israeli direction or as a consequence of warnings. What Australia would say is Israel must now exercise special care in relation to these civilians, and not doing so would have devastating consequences. Devastating consequences uh, for those civilians and would do serious harm to Israel's own interests. That was Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong talking about the uh, humanitarian 
aspects of the renewed Israeli push into southern Gaza. Our guest in this half hour is CNN national security expert uh, Cedric Layton. Uh, Cedric, welcome back to Deadline DC. Good to be with you, Brad. Uh, let's start with uh, Gaza. The uh, Israelis are now mounting a, uh, a new offensive into Gaza, uh, into the southern part of Gaza. Now, it just seems to me that, uh, you know, this is where I, this is how I feel about it, and I want your reaction. Uh, it seems to me Hamas uh, on the during the vicious uh, attacks on Israeli civilians on October 7th of last year, um, I heard some people saying that this was their uh, attempt to spark a wider war uh, against Israel and in the Middle East. And it just seems to me right now the Israeli um, damage uh, to uh, people in Palestinians in Gaza is giving Hamas what they wanted, which is a wider war. Uh, what's your take on uh, the Israeli offensive in Gaza? Well, Brad, yeah, it's it's a very complicated and very sad state of affairs. Uh, the uh, key element to note is that that wider war has not happened yet. Now, uh, having said that, uh, it could be sparked off very easily, very quickly, uh, if uh, other elements such as Hezbollah coming from the north, from Lebanon, Lebanese territory that they're sitting on, if they attack Israel in a sustained manner. Uh, the other thing, of course, that Hamas was interested in, and I think you correctly pointed out, uh, that they wanted to spark a wider war in the Middle East, is they also want to derail any type of rapprochement or peace process between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Uh, the Saudis had gotten pretty close to uh, recognizing Israel just before October 7 and the attacks, uh, the Hamas attacks on Israeli civilians. Uh, now that those attacks have occurred and Israel has reacted the way it, it has, uh, it seems very unlikely that that peace process is going to move forward in the near term. I think eventually it will move forward, but there is going to be a pause in those efforts to uh, to get back together again, and uh, that's going to be be a, uh, a significant uh, factor and a significant problem, I think, for both the Israelis and and for the uh, various elements of the Arab side. Uh, when it comes to Hamas, uh, they have uh, all of the people that uh, in Gaza that have evacuated from the northern areas, uh, the central areas, they're all concentrated in the south right now. And so the Israelis are planning uh, in invasion, basically, of the south, uh, particularly the town of Rafah, which is right on the Egyptian border. Now, logically, you would say, okay, well, if they, they're going to do that, then the Palestinian population should move into Egypt, at least temporarily. But if they do that, first of all, the Egyptians don't want them. Secondly, uh, if they do that, the Egyptians are going to think that they're going, that they what will probably happen is that the Israelis will then shut the border and prevent uh, the Palestinians from going back to their home 
homes in Gaza. So uh, what is likely to happen is an attack uh, in the Rafah area. And the reason for that attack uh, is that the Israelis believe that the leadership of Hamas is now concentrated in the south. They've basically destroyed about 85, the Israelis have destroyed about 85% of the buildings in northern Gaza and in central Gaza. And uh, the, the south is also now an area where not only have civilians fled to that area, but they also have the Hamas leadership, the Israelis believe, in that area. So the Israelis are going after their number one war aim, which is to go after the leadership, uh, capture them, kill them, uh, avenge uh, themselves for the attack that uh, Hamas uh, 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 engaged in on uh, October the 7th. You know, uh, every night when I uh, watch the network news, uh, you see the, and I guess we're going to probably see a lot more of them now that the Israelis are moving again in Gaza, uh, these horrific images of, you know, children, you know, being treated in the hospitals with, with horrible wounds. And when I see these images, I think, are the Israelis just creating a new generation of terrorists? I know their, you know, their, their hope is to wipe out Hamas. But all I can see is these images in Gaza and the pro-Palestinian demonstrations, uh, some in this, some in the USA, uh, many in the Middle East. And I'm thinking, is this short-sighted by the Israelis? Because they're essentially, I think what's going to happen is they're creating a new generation of terrorists. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, Brad. I think that one of the one of the problems is is that when you have these very heavy-handed approaches uh, and this, uh, you know, where you've killed uh, over 27,000, 28,000 uh, now, according to at least the Palestinian estimates, civilians in a very enclosed area. That's a number of civilian casualties that we in the U.S. would not tolerate, uh, you know, even if we're going against a mortal enemy. It would be in a, a situation similar to this uh, that would not be tolerated. And the Israelis, of course, have a different attitude toward that. But the problem is, is that they're losing the information war with these kinds of uh, pictures that are going around the world. The sympathy, of course, for the Palestinian cause, regardless of what Hamas did on October the 7th, is reaching very high levels levels, uh, not only in the U.S., but also in Europe and, uh, of course, in the Middle East. So the kinds of things that we see here are indicative of a strategy that does not take into account the need to use popular opinion to win over popular opinion where you can. Now, it's very difficult uh, with the Palestinians because they're taught from uh, basically the first day they, of school all the way to the end uh, that Israel is a mortal enemy and that they need to essence, take uh, Israel out and eliminate it as a country. Uh, but uh, the effort isn't even being made by the Israelis, at least that's what it appears to be, uh, what appears to be the case. And that is going to create some very, very difficult uh, situations uh, in the years ahead. And it will definitely create new terrorists. Let me ask you this question. Uh, I mentioned the danger of a wide, uh, wider war. Uh, the United States, uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, took military action against drone bases in Yemen um, and in Iraq and Syria that were, you know, attacking U.S. forces and shipping in the uh, uh, Red Sea. Uh, 
it seems to me that since the United States attacked, we've heard a lot less about drone attacks and uh, is uh, how how high are the dangers of a wider war in the Middle East? Well, I think they're pretty high, uh, but it certainly can be those dangers can be contained if we handle this properly. One of the uh, issues, of course, the reason that we've been uh, going after uh, targets in places like Iraq and Syria is because we were attacked and three soldiers lost their lives, uh, and they were serving in Jordan along the Syrian border. Uh, so, and their mission was an anti-ISIS mission. That uh, is something that's very important for us to keep in mind. But those are different conflicts. And as long as they aren't brought together, uh, then we have a chance of avoiding a wider war. Okay. Uh, Colonel Layton, I want to thank you for joining us again on Deadline DC. Uh, it was informative as usual. We didn't get to cover everything I want to talk about, which means we're going to have to invite you back. Uh, so I hope you can find the time. Uh, that's it for Deadline DC with Brad DeBannon. Uh, stay strong and stand tall in these troubled and turbulent times. We'll be back soon with more of Deadline DC in the future. <laughs>